among the gravest threats to our way of life today is the dramatic decline in the confidence we have in our central institutions. Organizations are the way we organize ideas. There is no idea, no value that we cherish that is relevant to our personal or social lives if not organized. I chuckle when people tell me that they're spiritual but not religious, that they believe in God but do not support the church or the synagogue. There is no God idea without institutions dedicated to the idea of God. You expect justice without institutions devoted to justice? Can we expect a rule of law without law schools and courts? But trust in our most critical institutions is in distressing decline. Part of that decline is the fault of the institutions themselves. Their senior personnel, those entrusted with their preservation, may not be up to the task administratively or morally. Part of it is simply the way we live today. Modernity has made it much harder to lead and sustain institutions. Today, Practically everyone knows practically everything about everyone. Technology has pulled back the curtain from the wizards of finance, education, government, the arts, religion. And we discover that there's no magic behind the curtain. It turns out that the great and powerful wizards are just like us. Some of them perhaps a little better, some perhaps a little worse, but they too are only human. Within minutes, the masses will know about some controversial decision or worse, some indiscretion of the leader of an institution. And at that moment, the Twitter mob often takes over. The ensuing maelstrom is difficult, if not impossible. To control. Now don't get me wrong, I would rather live in these times than any other time. I like Google. <laughs> this service is streamed, it'll be, my sermon will be on YouTube in, I don't know, an hour or two. Think of what life was like two centuries ago, before antibiotics and modern medicine, before automobiles, telephones. Indoor plumbing, disposable diapers. The next time you swear under your breath, waiting in the security line at the airport, dreading the cramped airplane seats and uncomfortable journey ahead of you, remember that 150 years ago, before the age of mass transportation, most people lived their entire lives within a 50-mile radius of where they were born. When a loved one left home, he often left for good never to be seen again. And the only method of staying in touch was through something they used to call letters. Remember, they used to have these little paper containers called envelopes. But all of this advancement and sophistication has come at a price. 
It is our very progress, modernity itself, that has changed the way we interact with each other and undermines our trust in social institutions. Take the most obvious. Our faith in all three branches of government has suffered dramatic declines. We expect partisanship in the executive and the legislature. In many ways, we encourage it. We vote for it. Nonetheless, we expect even from politicians that they will rise above narrow tribal political loyalties in service to the country. So for example, even those of us who do not shrink from even fierce political debate find it disappointing that everything about the impeachment process is known in advance. Every argument, every vote, every outcome is predetermined. And even when it comes to the third branch of government, the supposedly nonpartisan judiciary committed to the principle that justice is blind, it seems like practically every decision of the Supreme Court is predictable. The verdict seems to reflect the desired political outcome justified legally rather than the reverse. Let justice prevail and let the political chips fall where they may. And because of our deteriorating faith even in the courts, there's something mildly disturbing about watching the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court sucked into this vortex of volatility, verbosity, and vulgarity that characterizes Congress today. And think of some of the other key institutions of our lives. Our faith in American capitalism has been shaken. We expect companies to make money. That's why we invest in them. But to observe the pursuit of profit at all costs, even at the cost of the purity of the water we drink, the food we eat, and the air we breathe, shakes our confidence in American capitalism itself. Wealth disparity shakes our confidence in the American dream. Even sports, even the NBA, bends the knee to freedom-denying, civil rights-suppressing China. This league that is so prominent in domestic debates, rightly so, contorts itself in embarrassing knots to ensure Nike sales in China. And now it turns out that the Houston Astros cheated their way to the World Series. Did you see that? Even Jose Altuve? That home run against Araldus Chapman was the result of cheating? Are you kidding? Say it ain't so. No way, Jose. We don't trust medical practitioners as we did before. When I was a child, the family doctor had the status of some kind of demigod, the all-seeing oracle of knowledge and wisdom. Today, we second-guess medical professionals all the time. We are much more aware of their all-too-human fallibilities, and we are much more realistic about what they know and do not know. We come into the doctor's office 
having ourselves researched what's wrong with us and might be more up to date about our ailment than the doctor. We don't trust the media as we did before. We do not agree on basic facts anymore. Thus, we seek out our own facts, alternative facts to other facts we don't like. And we have newspaper, radio, and television outlets that ensconce us in this warm womb of alternative reality. And thus, we have become cynical about all things. Even the family is not what it used to be. Increased mobility has distanced us from parents, siblings, and relatives. And no matter how hard we try, over time, we become less attached to our families. Geographical distance creates emotional distance. <clears throat> Staying in touch by email or FaceTime is not the same as weekly FaceTime with distant relatives. And of course, religious institutions have taken an enormous hit. We're much more exposed to the world than we used to be. Our imperfections and fallibilities are more obvious. Rabbis, priests, ministers, imams, we claim, or at least are seen by others as claiming, the mantle of moral life. We know, most of us anyway, that we are as weak and as imperfect as the next person. But we are seen as representing and even embodying standards of decency and morality above and beyond what most people even expect of themselves. That then imposes on us the obligation to try harder. Not because we are worse than others, but because we know that we're not better than others. If you wanted to devise the most effective way to undermine trust in religious institutions, it would involve the clergy abusing their positions of trust. If we lose our reputation for honesty, charity, decency, reliability, stability, dignity, and integrity, we lose all. And since the Jewish community has lately focused so intensely on universities and other institutions of learning, of course it goes without saying that our trust in schools has eroded. Schools embody the value of education, of knowledge, the pursuit of reason, the cultivation of curiosity, intellectual pluralism, and respect for intellectual diversity. Einstein pointed out that the value of a college education is not the learning of many facts, but the training of the mind to think. These values more than anything that schools actually teach, are the bedrock cementing our trust in universities, high schools, middle schools, elementary schools, and even preschools 
like ours. And what happens when we dishonor these values? As recalcitrant athletes undermine trust in the institutions of sports, as recalcitrant generals undermine trust in the institutions of the military, as recalcitrant police undermine trust in the institutions of law enforcement, as recalcitrant judges undermine trust in the institution of justice, as recalcitrant clergy undermine trust in the institutions of religion, so recalcitrant teachers who shut down reasoned discourse, who disrespect intellectual diversity, who defy institutional discipline, ensuring institutional standards. Such teachers undermine the very things that cement our trust in institutions of learning. And when such teachers fail, it's often not because what they believe or even their pedagogical skills. Rather, it is because they undermine trust in the very reasons these institutions exist in the first place. Their failure is often not because of inability, but insubordination. Especially in our times, institutions must protect the dignity, integrity, and credibility of their institutions. If we lose these, we lose all. And that is why even some of the most brilliant, most charismatic politicians, judges, clergy, film producers, actors, scientists, CEOs, and teachers, that is why so many of these talented people stumble and fall. We must work hard today, harder than before, to restore the credibility of the key institutions of society. We must regain the faith of the people. We are tearing ourselves apart. Our faith in each other withers. During these weeks, our Torah readings describe the exodus from Egypt. Now, if you were to ask people, what is the book of Exodus about? Most people would tell you it's about the breaking of the yoke of slavery. It's about the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea. That is true, but it's only part of the story. It's not the whole story. Only a little more than a third of the book of Exodus is about escape from Egypt. The anchor of the book of Exodus, its central preoccupation is not freedom in the abstract, but building and sustaining the institutions of freedom. It was not enough to cross the Red Sea. The destination was Sinai, where the concept of justice was institutionalized through law. Moses instituted a system of dispensing justice. And the remainder of this book of freedom 
is about institutionalizing the idea of God. Fully 13 of the 40 chapters of the book of Exodus is about the details of the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the portable tent akin to the wilderness sanctuary. This institution of the tabernacle and all the institutional mechanisms we expect of any institution, professional leadership, the priests, a system of financing, taxation to support the upkeep of the tabernacle, rituals, and of course, institutional discipline. There were detailed expectations and rules about how the priests and the people should behave in the Mishkan in order to uphold the integrity of the tabernacle. It was the place where God resided. In order not to bring it into disrepute. Because to bring it into disrepute would destroy the people's confidence and faith in this central communal institution. And this book of freedom, Exodus, closes with these words. And when Moses finished the work, then, and only then, after finishing the work, the presence of God filled the tabernacle. It was only after the creation of the institution that the presence of God filled the tent. Inspiration does not reside in our institutions unless we complete the work, taking care to uphold institutional values constantly, consistently, and conscientiously.